Let's go ahead and open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 because that's where we've left off in our study. As we're going through the book of Ephesians, we were going small paragraphs at a time and we've slowed down a little bit recently because now we're in the part of this, the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters was pretty much principles and doctrine that Paul was laying down, foundation for the last three chapters of Ephesians. Oh, by the way, does anybody need a Bible? We've got Bibles available. If you need a Bible, we've got one. You can raise your hand and one of our ushers or Gene will give you one. Grant needs a Bible. Okay, that's great. Um, so the, uh, Paul's laying down the foundation in the first three chapters, doctrine, principles, that kind of thing. And then he gets real practical in chapters 4 through 6. So you've got all these, just a, one command after another in 4 through 6. And so that's why we're kind of slowing down, because we really want to emphasize what Paul is trying to say, what he's calling us to do, what God is expecting us to do. Sometimes we'll be going just one verse at a time to really see what God expects of us as individual Christians and as a church, and especially in where we've been in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, where God tells us how to build the church. And this is a, a popular theme today, this day and age here in America, or for the last literally 20 years, the church in America has been trying to answer the question, how do you grow a church? What is true church growth all about? How do you accomplish that? And here's the answer, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. It's God's plan of how to grow a church, and it's all about Jesus, the one building the church. And Jesus has privileged us to be a part of his process of building the church. He calls us his co-laborers. He wants us to help him build the church. So that's what we've been talking about. And the way that God builds the church through us, we've said, and we've already seen in Ephesians 4, is that he's given gifts to the church. He's given gifted people to help build the church, and he's also given individual gifts to every single Christian. And every Christian is expected to use their gift, develop in their gift, discover their gift, employ and use their gift to help the church grow. And so that's really what we're talking about today. This is really part three. I call it bodybuilding, building the body of Christ. Part three, and the emphasis today is on spiritual gifts. We need to talk about spiritual gifts specifically in light of especially what we talked about last week. Uh, to remind you from last week, uh, we talked about verse 12, Ephesians 4.12, that actually can't be read apart from verse 11. So let's read it verse 11 and 12 together to remind us where we are in this process of building up Christ's church and how God wants us to accomplish it. Jesus came down here, lived on earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again from the dead. After he rose again from the dead, he gave spiritual gifts to his church, his people, so that they could build the church. And Paul begins to tell us what those gifts are. They start with gifted people he gave to lay the foundation of the church. That's verse 11. And Christ gave gifts to the church, gifted men, apostles and prophets. And they laid the foundation of the church. And other gifted men he gave were evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Today we have evangelists, pastors, and teachers to continue to lead the church. And what is their job? Well, their job is to do verse 12. Pastors, teachers evangelists, leaders in the church, are given by God to the church for the equipping of the saints. Literally, to equip the saints, to train the saints. And we talked about last week, every Christian is a saint. Did you know that? So you are a holy one. If you're a Christian, you are a saint right here and now. You've been made holy by God through your personal relationship with Christ. So the job of the pastor is to equip the saints, to train the saints. Last week we talked about the main way the pastor or teacher does that is through the truth of the Word of God, through the Bible teaching it clearly so people can understand it, so they can apply it to their life, so they can become equipped. 
So the pastor equips the saints, trains the saints, prepares the saints for, notice, for the work of service, or literally, literally for the work of ministry. Who does ministry in the local church? It's every Christian. It's not just the hired clergy guy or just the pastor. Every Christian is doing ministry, or should be. And that's how God chooses to grow and build his church. Uh, so we need to stop on that. Oh, for the equipping of the saints who will do the work of the ministry with the ultimate goal to the building up of the body of Christ to edifying the church, growing the church, building up the church. That's how a church grows. So this is the answer to the church growth question. How can we make our church grow? Well, God already told us. Through the leaders of the church, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry so that the church will grow. Now, one thing that Paul talks about in here, it's mentioned twice, is gifts. Look at verse 7. After Christ rose again from the dead and ascended, he gave gifts to men. It's mentioned two times there. Verse 7 and verse 8. He gave, and that's talking about spiritual gifts. That's what he's talking about. Gifts, aptitudes and abilities that are energized by the Holy Spirit. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have a spiritual gift. If you are a Christian, you've been endowed with at least one spiritual gift, and many Christians probably have more than one spiritual gift. And Paul talks about some of those gifts in this chapter in Ephesians 4, but this is a theme that was passionate for Paul and very important. And so when he wrote to other churches, he also talked about how to grow the church and about spiritual gifts. He did it in Romans 12. He did it in 1 Corinthians at length from 12 to 14. Uh, 1 Peter talked about it. The Apostle Peter talked about spiritual gifts and how important they are. So in order to fully understand it, that's why we have 27 books in the Bible. We need to take everything that the Apostles said and Jesus said, put it all together so we have a comprehensive picture so we can understand things. So what I've done today basically is taken what Paul has said in Ephesians 4 about spiritual gifts, what he said in Romans 12 about spiritual gifts, what he said in 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14 about spiritual gifts, and also what Peter says in 1 Peter um, chapter 4 about spiritual gifts, and kind of put it all together so we have a comprehensive picture of God's expectation regarding us, regarding the spiritual gifts. Because last week I was saying, God wants us to use our spiritual gifts. So you may have walked away with the question of, well, what is my spiritual gift? Or, what are the spiritual gifts? Are they listed anywhere in Scripture? Well, the answer is, yes, they are, very specifically. And if you were to count them, you'd come up with about 18 or 19 specific spiritual gifts that Paul actually lists. He names them by name, very specifically, for a very specific reason. And believe it or not, within those 18 or 19 spiritual gifts, every Christian should fall under the umbrella of one of those 18 gifts. And everything that we need to accomplish can be accomplished through the use of only those 18 gifts. It's a beautiful thing. God gave only 10 commandments that covered everything that we need to know morally speaking in terms of our expectation with Him. He gave us 18 gifts, which comprehensively covers everything we need to do in the church to help us grow. So what I wanted to emphasize today is I just wanted to, out of those 18 gifts, I believe there's about nine that are relevant for us as Christians today. Because some of those spiritual gifts were foundational in the New Testament times. One example would be the gift of apostleship. Very clear from the New Testament, the gift of apostleship, it is a spiritual gift. It was only for the New Testament times. It was before they had the New Testament so it was at a specific time that God used that spiritual gift to help lay the foundation of the church and also to give us direct revelation. And God used the apostles to write the New Testament for us. God is not using the gift of apostleship today. So all 18 spiritual gifts aren't always necessarily functioning at the same time. They are functioning when God needs to use them. And I just use apostleship as an example, as a gift that I don't believe is functioning today, but was foundational to the church. It laid the foundation of the church. Um, so when I say that some of the gifts may not be functioning today, it doesn't mean that I don't believe in spiritual gifts, because some people will say that. If somebody 
says that, well, not all the gifts are functioning today, then they might point the finger and say, oh, you don't believe in the spiritual gifts. No, actually, I do. I believe in all the spiritual gifts. I believe in speaking in tongues because the Apostle Paul taught on it, and the Apostle Paul said that he spoke in tongues more than anybody. So he had the gift. So it was a real gift. I believe that the gift of the apostleship was a real gift, too. But I think it's really clear from Paul's four, three passages that there are gifts for us today that we need to emphasize to the ongoing building of the church once the foundation has been laid of the church. So go ahead and look at your handout. I know it's a, it's a four-page handout, and I just did that for your benefit, and I'm not going to preach through all that stuff. Aren't you glad and happy? Because um, we've got to go to lunch at 12.15, uh, because I'm getting hungry, too. So, um, so I have incentive to finish this thing. But I'm not going to talk about all 18 gifts. I want to lay the foundation and just read those first uh, preliminary principles about spiritual gifts. And then I just want to describe real briefly what the nine auxiliary service gifts are today that we should be using and implementing in our church to help us understand uh, what our gifts are and how we can employ those. So let's go ahead and look at it. But let's look at the first page, uh, point number one, on general principles regarding spiritual gifts. I'm just going to read through these. I'm not even going to read all the verses that go with it. These are just biblical principles to lay the foundation, some of which we've already talked about very specifically out of Ephesians 4 anyway. But let's go ahead and look at those, A through Z or whatever I put there. Uh, letter A, Christ gives every Christian a spiritual gift. I don't care how old you are. If you're 12 years old, you have a spiritual gift if you're a real Christian. B, Christ distributes the gifts as He wills. We don't get to pick and choose. God gives the spiritual gifts because He knows what's best for His church. That comforts me. He made the decision. C, every Christian re- receives a gift through salvation. So at the time you got it's not like necessarily that you received a gift that you didn't have the moment you got saved. It's more like, actually, technically... We received the gift God wanted us to have before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 2.10. All that happened the moment we got saved is we just got plugged in and energized to use the gift for which God created us. We got a power source, as it were, but God determined that before the foundation of the world and He implemented it into action the moment we got saved. Every Christian receives a gift at the time of salvation when you became a Christian. D, the spiritual gifts are energized by the Holy Spirit. He is our power source. We can't do them without His help and His energizing. E, the spiritual gifts are for serving others, not ourselves. They are for ministry and serving others. If you have a spiritual gift and you're using it just for yourself, that's not a spiritual gift. It's for edifying others, not yourself. F, the gifts are for building up the church. That's the ultimate goal, to help your local church grow. Not the you know, parachurch ministry. There, I mean, we can use our spiritual gifts to benefit a parachurch ministry, or another church across the way, but first and foremost, in terms of the priority, Paul always talks about your local church, your home church, your spiritual family. That's where it starts, is where you use your local, or where you use your spiritual gift, and then it can flow to other ministries as well and beyond. Um, G, not all Christians have the same gifts, and every Christian has at least one gift, and some Christians have more than one gift. Probably many Christians have more than one gift. H, the different gifts are to function harmoniously, so we shouldn't be envious of one another based on different gifts. Uh, I, all the gifts are important, every single one of them. I don't care how mundane you think your gift may be, it is absolutely vitally important to the body. What's more important to the body, the heart or the lungs? Hmm, trick question. Uh, they're both vitally important. Or what's more important, the brain, the heart, or the lungs? Uh, they're all equally important, every single one of them. That's the point. 
Every Christian is important in their local church and vitally important to the growth. J, not all gifts function at the same time. We already talked about that. Apostleship, done away. Prophecy will be done away, Paul predicted. Uh, K, we are accountable for using our gifts. We're accountable uh, to God. Peter says it's a stewardship responsibility we have that God will hold us accountable for. So that's just introduction. Now let's go ahead and look at the specific indications regarding the spiritual gifts. I listed them for you, the, the 18 or 19 spiritual gifts that Paul lists in his three different passages out of Corinthians, Romans, and Ephesians. Uh, and they're basically I divided up into three categories. The first two categories, uh, one and two, I call them gifts of revelation and gifts of verification. And actually, Paul's word for those two categories of gifts, he calls those the sign gifts. They were supernatural sign gifts that went on during the days of the apostles. 1 Corinthians 12, he calls them sign gifts. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he calls them sign gifts. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, they're called signs. And in the book of Acts, they're also called signs. These were supernatural gifts uh, of outward expression to validate the ministry of the apostles at that time. And this is how we ended up with the New Testament, and this is how the uh, apostles' ministry was endorsed. So I would propose that A through E, these sign gifts aren't necessarily functioning today in the church. That's not a bad thing. It's the wisdom of God. You don't, if you're a football coach, you don't put the defense in on the field when you have the ball, right? You put the offense in. You don't use all of your players at the same time all the time. That's all we're talking about here. Then Paul lists other gifts that are gifts of service, and they are not sign gifts. They're called service gifts or auxiliary gifts, they're called. By the way, I'm not making this stuff up. This has been the understanding of the church for 19 centuries, really. Um, and there are specific indications in Scripture regarding that. So let's go ahead. What I want to do, I want to spend our time just explaining briefly these nine helping gifts, service gifts, auxiliary gifts that we can employ to help our church grow. And I would posit that everybody that's a Christian today, you will be able to identify, or you should be able to identify with at least one of these gifts and maybe more. So let's go ahead and look at them. One we've already looked at would be the gift of pastors. God has given pastors to the local church. That's a perpetual ongoing ministry. And the word for pastor just means shepherding. These are shepherds. And their responsibility basically is to feed, to lead, and protect the flock. And they feed primarily by teaching the Word of God. They feed the Word of God. That's what Jesus told Peter. Feed my sheep, and he meant with the Word of God so that they can grow as a result. Um, So that is a pastor. We've talked about that. Then there's uh, the gift of teaching. Now, Paul said there were gifted men who were called teachers, but Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 12 there's the gift of teaching, which is, there's a distinction there between the gift of teachers and just the, the generic gift of teaching. And what is the gift of teaching? Uh, it is the ability to, first of all, understand Scripture properly and then communicate it effectively in the way that the saints can understand it. That is the gift of teaching, being an effective communicator of God's Word, of His spiritual truth. That is the gift of teaching. And by the way, uh, a woman can be, have the gift of teaching. Did you know that? This generic gift of teaching that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 can apply to both genders and really at any age because you've got a Sunday school teacher who is teaching third and fourth graders in the Sunday school class. You want somebody who's gifted at doing that. Like here at our church would be Mrs. Willow, I believe, with a gift of teaching to preschool kids. And you've got to have a gift to be able to work with, to even deal with preschoolers, first of all, uh, and then to communicate on their level where they can understand it and apply it to their life. That takes a supernatural gift. And that's a gift of teaching that God gives. 
And some of you young people, maybe you're 14 and you don't, maybe you have the gift of teaching and you just don't know it yet because you have to discover that gift, develop that gift, and mature it maybe over time. Um, so that's the gift of teaching. Then there's the gift of evangelist. We talked about that as well. And the word evangelist means good news. And this is somebody who has the ability, a supernatural ability, an innate ability, as it were, to share the good news with people wherever they go. Some people, some of us Christians, are scared to death to talk about Jesus with unbelievers, aren't we? Right? We're like the Arctic River, frozen over at the mouth when it's time to talk about Jesus. But somebody who has the gift of evangelism, you know the key to that, I think, is that somebody with the gift of evangelism is they see every human being as first and foremost a spiritual being. The thing that crosses their mind is this person is either going to heaven or hell. They go into Safeway and they go through the checkout stand and think, what is the spiritual destiny of this person behind here checking out my groceries. Do they know God? Do they know Jesus? And they follow up on that by talking to them. And first and foremost, they focus in not on details and rabbit trails. They focus in on the gospel because that's what good news means, evangelist, the good news. Do you know Jesus? Here's the good news about Jesus. He can forgive you of your sin. And they are very good about initiating conversation and always taking the conversation back to the gospel, who Jesus is in the relationship with him. That is awesome. God has blessed us with some evangelists in our church. It's a wonderful gift. And then there's the gift of exhortation. Go ahead and look at that one. Uh, The Greek word for exhortation is parakaleo. It's two words. Parakaleo. Paraclete. Paraclete. Have you ever heard anybody refer to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete? Because that's what Jesus called him in the Gospel of John. He he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And the English translation is the comforter. That's why we call the Holy Spirit the comforter. Para is a preposition. It means alongside of. Kaleo means to call. So it means to call alongside of. Or literally, the imagery is to come alongside of. That's what this gift is. And in your mind, the graphic imagery, somebody with the gift of exhortation or para kaleo, or the gift to come alongside, is kind of like the football coach, the guy of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cower where a football player comes off the field and he goes up and he puts his arm around the shoulder and he walks away privately and he's whispering something in his ear. He's come alongside to his player. And you're just wondering, what in the world is he saying to that player? But you know what? The Steelers players, they like their coach because he did that. He He had a human gift of coming alongside of people, whispering in their ear. Now, the interesting thing about parakaleo, the Greek word in the New Testament, is it means three specific things depending upon the context. Because it's translated consistently three different ways in your New Testament. It can be translated as comfort or encourage. That's, that's good. It can also be translated as admonish. Ooh, that can be bad. Because admonish usually is you're telling somebody they're messing up, right? So you can imagine Bill Cower doing this. Uh, encouraging. Oh, it's all right, brother. Hang in there. Uh, we'll, we'll do better next time as he's whispering to his quarterback. Or he could be saying in his ear, what are you doing? We, we practice this all week long and he's biting his ear off. He's admonishing him. You know better. And the third way this is translated in the New Testament, so you've got encourage, admonish, or exhort. This is kind of neutral. It's not necessarily good or bad, but basically what it's doing is it's reminding that person what they already know, to do what they already know. So this complements the gift of the teacher. The teacher gives you information fills up your mind with data and information that you understand, and then the one with exhortation tells you how to use it or motivates you to use it, exhorts you to use it. You know this truth. Now we need to start doing it. Come on, Ben. The guy was open. Throw it to him. So that's exhortation. 
And the emphasis on this gift of exhortation, all of these, it's verbal. It is verbal communication. It is one-on-one communication. It is face-to-face communication. A person with the gift of exhortation is not afraid to face people uh, personally and talk to them one-on-one. Because some of us are afraid, aren't we, to talk to people one-on-one about anything. Um, So the person of exhortation has courage and boldness to speak the truth in love on a one-on-one intimate basis, whether it's comforting, admonishing, or exhorting. Uh, The emphasis of this gift is somebody with the ability to motivate people to action. They are persuasive. They persuade the saints to do what they know is right. So it's a call to action. It's, It's an innate, supernatural ability to get at the volition or the will of people to take action and to move. This is a great gift. We need this in the church. Exhortation. And it also has to do with what you say when you say it at the right time. It's saying the right thing in the right way at the right time. Because some people can be verbal and say the wrong thing, right? Or at the wrong time. Or even say it in the wrong way. Somebody with the gift of exhortation, they say the right thing in the right manner at the right time consistently. It is a gift from God. And we need that gift ongoing in our church. So think about that. Do you fall into that? Is that possibly your gift? Be praying through that. Then there are... um, Let's go on to the serving gifts, I call them, because those first four are verbal gifts, speaking gifts. And then there's the serving gifts, not necessarily verbal gifts. They're gifts of action. It's kind of interesting. First Peter 4.10, he mentions the spiritual gifts, and he just clumps them in two basic categories. He calls them the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. He doesn't go into the detail of 18 different gifts like Paul does, because Paul already did that, because Peter had Paul's letters. He read them. He mentions them in his epistle. You want to see the details that are in there. But basically, it's speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's his general categorization, so that's why I broke them up like that. because That's how Peter did. So let's look at the serving gifts now. Uh, there's the gift of ministry. Paul uses the word ministry helps service for the same gift is what he calls it. The gift of, this is where the word diakonos or deacon comes from. We talked a little bit about this last week. By the way, in many of these gifts, uh, the basic gist of all these gifts is every Christian is responsible to do these things, aren't they? I mean, every Christian is responsible to evangelize, right? Every Christian is responsible to encourage and admonish their fellow believer. Uh, every Christian is responsible to teach to some degree, to, at some level. But we're talking about a supernatural ability that God has given an overabundance of giftedness to particular Christians to excel in certain areas. So these gifts are real. They are legitimate. Um, but this gift right here, the gift of ministry or helps or service, Personally, I believe this is the gift with the broadest scope in the local church. It has the biggest umbrella. Maybe you could think, you mean there's only 18 spiritual gifts? Yeah, but under the gift of ministry and helps alone, there's probably a thousand different ways to implement that gift. Did you know it? So I've heard people say, well, how co- I don't see the gift of music anywhere on this list of 18. That's a gift. I'm gifted in music. Well, I personally believe the gift of music can follow, fall under several of these different categories. This, I believe under the gift of service, Musical ability and how God has gifted you with musical ability can be a service and a help literally to the church. It fulfills this biblical mandate. So maybe you're a musician and you have the gift of service. It's a tremendous service. Uh, It meets a need. But what is the gift of ministry or helps or service in the church? Well, the focus is on activities that need to be done in the church. Activities. The emphasis isn't necessarily on people. That's another gift. This is on activities that need to be done. And these are... Or jobs, big jobs, little jobs, menial jobs, behind-the-scenes jobs, sometimes jobs that take grunt work, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, jobs that are thankless and unappreciated. 
And many times there are very big jobs that need to be done. But the, the point is, these are activities that absolutely need to be done in the church. And there are people that just gravitate towards that naturally. They are just in, they are comfortable and they are in their groove and they are doing these kind of things. I think about when I was doing baptism. One thing, since we did our first baptisms in the sanctuary, we'd never done a baptism before. There were some things I didn't think through all the way. Like somebody has to live the, lift the 100-pound lid off the baptistry and I can't do it by myself because I'm a wimp. Somebody saw me struggling and almost fell in. And then a servant in our church that I think with the gift of service, ministry helps, came and gladly helped me lift it off. He even told me how to do it the right way, so on and so without hurting my back. And then when it came time to put it back together, there were people swarming all over the tank, putting it back together, gladly, not being asked. It just came naturally. That is, that is the gift of service and help. And it went unnoticed uh, for the most part, but it absolutely needed to be done, and they did it the right way. And also, someone with the gift of service, ministry, helps, they do these deeds with a great attitude, with a servant's heart, with almost joy. They have joy in doing the menial things that need to be done. I don't understand that. I was reminded, when I was going through the drive-thru at McDonald's, and I pulled up this week, and whoever took my money, and uh, they were just the nicest person in the world, saying, how are you today? Oh, enjoy your meal. I'm thinking, well, why is this person so happy with this job at McDonald's getting the amount of money that they're making and they don't even know me and they are so kind and they are so sweet and they really care about me? I don't think that is parallel to the, the gift of service in the church on a very menial, mundane task and they do it with just such a sweet spirit and they think what they're doing is very important and they take fulfillment and joy in doing that. It's awesome. The same thing, Debbie and I were at Safeway last night, and this lady comes, she's just walking the halls and just goes out of her way to ask us, if we're, are you, did you find everything? Can I help you with anything? Just being a servant. And again, it was just, this is what we need in the church. This is the gift of service in the church on a spiritual level, this kind of attitude. It's, it's a wonderful thing. The model for the gift of service, helps, and ministry is Jesus, of course. Actually, Jesus is the model of all of these gifts. But John 13 is the greatest example of service that we need to follow because he washed the apostles' dirty, smelly, stinky feet. Remember that. He shouldn't have because he was God incarnate, but he got down and cleaned their dirty feet. And when he was done, he told the apostles, you know what, you need to serve others as I just serve you. I gave you an example. And that's what a servant in the church does, those with the gift of service and ministry. They serve the way Jesus served. And by the way, those with this gift, with the gift of service, ministry, and helps, these are the people that become candidates for deacons and deaconesses in your church. They lead the way. They are the paragon. They are the example of this ministry. And I've been praying for five, six months that God would raise up deacons and deaconesses in our church. And God is answering that prayer, I think. He's going to show us who those gifted people are. It's awesome because that's a huge, tremendous need. God said every church needs a plurality of elders and deacons. And we need deaconesses as well. God's answering that prayer. It's awesome. So I thank God for these people with the gift of service. I've thought about it. I've prayed about God. Do I have the gift of mercy? And my wife says, no. This is the answer to prayer. I mean, ministry of service helps. Can, can I do service? Yeah. Yeah, if you twist my arm. I, I, you have to. Every Christian should be ministering, right? And serving. But some people just have a supernatural ability to do this. Uh, blessed by God. It's awesome. Uh, this, we're talking about setting up. We're talking about tearing down. We have uh, many saints in our small group of people who are doing this on a weekly basis, sometimes daily basis, doing things you don't even know. Somebody setting up the sign, like I said last week, tearing down the sign. When you go in at lunchtime and you have that wonderful fellowship meal, you know, somebody took the time to set up all the tables, to put up tablecloths, 
uh, to get out the silverware, to arrange it nicely, and then we get to eat it, and then somebody cleans it all up and mops the floor and takes out the trash and does the dishes and takes those big, dirty trash bags out to the dumpster. That is all done by people doing service. Some of them aren't even gifted at it. They just know it needs to be done. But there are people in there leading the way who have that gift, and they are being an example and model for the rest of us. So if you feel like you have the gift of service, the gift of helps, the gift of uh, ministry, as it were, and you don't have a place to plug in yet, uh, just ask us, and we'll find there are needs where you can, can serve, even little ones. And I was telling the youth group today, middle schools and high schools and Sunday school, as I was thinking about our 15 to 17 young people we have in there, I was amazed at what a high percentage of our young people do something in terms of a ministry, helping out in a little way. Uh, That's exciting. This is their church. They're taking ownership of it, and that's the way it needs to be. This isn't church just for adults. So that is the gift of ministry helps service. Thanks. Thank God for these people that he's blessed us with. By the way, they do this. They do these gifts of service. for. They're not looking for rewards, pats on the back, because they know first and foremost what? That God is watching. He's gifted them to do it. He will reward them in time someday, and he gives them fulfillment in the meantime while they do it. Um, so that's one of the most important ministries, in my opinion, of a healthy church is the, having saints gifted with ministry, helps, and service. Uh, then there's the gift of giving. Let's go ahead and look at that. The gift of giving. Now, one thing the gift of giving isn't that you might think of is this is people with a lot of money. That isn't necessarily true. Because you know what? You can have a lot of money and be stingy, right? Yeah, so just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have the gift of giving. Now, you can have a lot of money and have the gift of giving. That's true. So that's, not, that's what it's not. What is the gift of giving? The gift of giving is having, again, a supernatural ability above and beyond everybody else that has a sensitivity to temporal and real needs in the church or the real needs of others that need to be met, and they have the wherewithal to make it happen by giving their treasures or whatever it is. That's the gift of giving. And also, it's being able to perceive a need in a way that nobody else might see. Everybody else is kind of oblivious to a specific need, and they see this need, and they take action, and they meet that need by giving something tangibly, giving something temporally, physically to meet that need. So it's not just lip service or being a, the king of good intentions. Like, that's what I call myself, the king of good intentions. This is somebody taking action, giving. And to have the gift of giving, they don't expect anything in return monetarily. As a matter of fact, the person with the gift of giving, they actually have joy in giving. They enjoy it. It gives them joy. It gives them fulfillment uh, because they know that the end result is meeting the need of somebody else. They know how to give wisely, by the way. You know, some people can take their money, whether they have a lot of it or a little bit, and they waste it because they give it to the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong manner. So they're just not good stewards. So somebody with the gift of giving is a good steward. They, they take what they have, their resources, seriously. God, you have entrusted me with this amount of money. You have entrusted me with this physical possession. God, you are the owner of it. I am just a steward. God, how do you want me to use this money or this gift? How, sh- how can I share this with somebody else? Show me who needs this. So that's the conscious way that they think. They see things on a spiritual level, their possessions on a spiritual level, their money on a spiritual level. And they entrust it to God to meet a very specific need. That is the gift of giving. I've often said that I have the gift of receiving. And I'd like to meet up with somebody with the gift of giving, but that hasn't happened. Uh, I'm just kidding, being facetious. Um, 
And, we, and God has blessed us with people with the gift of giving in this little church. God, as I go through all the gifts, I'm just thankful. God has given us somebody, at least one person, with all of these gifts so far that I can acknowledge. And that's, that's good for us because that helps us lay a solid foundation and that helps us to grow. Because we need everybody. We need all the parts of the body uh, to grow. So that's the gift of giving. Let's go on to the gift of mercy. Showing mercy. Uh, translated in different times by Paul as... The gift of mercy, the gift of compassion, the gift of pity, and it's hilarious mercy, or really cheerful mercy, which talks about the demeanor of this person. This is the ability to focus on people and their needs rather than deeds that need to be done. The the person with the gift of service or ministry, they, they see the needs that need to be done, the practical things. This person focuses on the people and specific things that need to be done or taken care of. And it focuses on people with special needs many times. Mercy. Jesus is, is referred to as a person of great mercy in the Gospels. And the word used when it talked about, it says Jesus had compassion on the people or mercy on the people, and sometimes he wept over the people. The Greek word literally is he hurt in his bowels. He hurt in his gut. There was an emotional reaction that Jesus had in his gut over the sympathy he felt for other people who were in need. That's what mercy is. You, you literally, yeah, you feel their pain. Bill Clinton didn't make that up. It came right out of the Bible. You sympathize with that person. You hurt with that person. And not only that, you take action on that need in a special way. And you do it cheerfully, graciously, with initiative. Because people who are hurting, they are needy. This would be people who are sick, dying, dying of cancer, people in the hospital, widows, orphans. They have a tremendous need. They have physical needs. They have emotional needs. They have spiritual needs. And we can have all the compassion in the world as we look upon them and sorrow for them, but we're not going to meet their, meet their need until we take action, right? And you know what one of the hardest things in the world to do that I have found for many Christians is they'll see somebody who maybe is dying, battling with cancer over the long haul, or an elderly person who is sick and hospitalized. And you know what that does? That scares a lot of people. And it almost paralyzes or immobilizes them out of fear because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to deal with somebody who's dying. Boy, do I talk about death and the fact that they have cancer or dying? Or, boy, I don't want to go to the hospital. It makes me leery. And so those are people maybe that don't have that gift. We should still follow through on that. But there are people who rise above that because they've been empowered by God in a special way to meet that need. The gift of compassion, the gift of mercy. So they, they don't have any problem at all. They don't think twice about going in the hospital. That's what we should be doing. They're buttoning in front of the nurse, excuse me, right by the bedside, talking to this person, holding their hand, patting their head, praying for them, talking to them openly and freely about that. I've seen this gift of mercy in action at the bedside, in the hospital, with dying people. It's amazing to watch when you see somebody with this gift. It's very encouraging. And you're just like, wow, how in the world do they do this? It just seems to come so naturally. This goes against my grain. Well, it's, it's because God has gifted them with that spiritual gift. God has enabled them to do that. It's a beautiful thing. The gift of compassion, mercy. And I thank God that He's given us people with the gift of compassion and mercy and who take action towards hurting people. They, again, they focus in on special needs sometimes of people that you know, most people don't want to even touch or go near because they're different or they're hurting or they're sick or they're dying and they're overcome with fear and indecisiveness as to what to do. And again, Jesus is the master. He is the model of showing mercy, isn't he? That's why he came. 
That's how he spent all of his days. That was his ministry for three and a half years, just showing mercy and compassion on all these people that he ached over, tried to meet their needs in every conceivable way, including spiritually, and he did. So Jesus is our model for all these spiritual gifts and how they should be implemented. And then let's look at the last two. The next spiritual gift is administration, which Paul also calls governing or leading. What this gift is not, by the way, this is not the same thing as someone you might call as an administrator in the, in the office at a business who's doing just paperwork and filing and that kind of a thing, those mundane kind of things that need to be done. That's not what this gift is. The emphasis from Paul is it's leading people. It's dealing with people. And literally, the words he uses at times are administration, governing, leading. The Greek word that he uses for governing, and one of the passages, by the way, is where we get the word for flying an airplane, guiding an airplane, the pilot who is flying the airplane. It's all on his shoulders. All the passengers are depending upon him for direction and leadership and oversight. So the gift of administration, governing, leading is administration of people. It's to guide, to pilot, to lead, to rule, to govern, to oversee, to blaze a trail, to preside over. That's this gift. If you're an elder in a church, you've got to have some modicum of this gift. That's what you're supposed to do. Elders are supposed to lead. So you need this gift. And it's dealing with people. Uh, It's dealing with people, by the way, at all levels. Because people are hard to deal with, aren't they? I know I am. Sinners are hard to deal with. So somebody with this gift has to be able to manage people well. And they particularly need to be able to manage problems well. Because where you have sinful people, you have problems, don't you? So somebody with this gift in the church has to be able to manage conflict and be a good mediator, an arbitrator, and an objective person. So with the goal of trying to reconcile people who are at odds with one another. Absolutely essential in this gift of administration, governing, and leading. Dealing with controversy. I, I think of the good... Cla- I was a teacher for years in the classroom with students, both elementary, high school, middle school. And you, know, you can be a good teacher in terms of content and knowing your material and be lousy at classroom control, Right? You can. And if you don't have classroom control, it doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are. The kids, they aren't listening. They're not learning anything. You don't have classroom control. You've lost them. The first week of school, it's over. So the good administrator, by the way, this gift of administration, governing, leading, doesn't just apply to elders in a church. This can be any Christian. This can be a woman because it's a generic gift, the gift of leading, the the gift of being able to manage people. Maybe it's managing 15 fourth graders in your Sunday school class, and you are good at managing these uh, little kids. You have good classroom control. And so that would be, that's what I was thinking of, the good classroom. Some of my best teachers were people who could manage the classroom well. They demanded and commanded respect, and the students had respect for them. And there was order, and they established order. And they were able to do that. That is a gift from God in the church. The ability to have control over people well, earning their respect, a mutual respect. So that's the gift of administration. Then finally, we have the gift of faith. This is a supernatural ability to believe God. Now, every Christian needs faith, right? The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Every one of us that is a Christian became a Christian by exercising faith in the gospel, right? So we all have to believe and trust God. But people with the gift of faith, Paul calls it a gift, are people with, again, this unique supernatural ability to believe God in ways that other people can't believe God. This is somebody with the gift and the ability to take God at His word. They take God at His word. 
in a unique way. They can read something in the Bible, and God only has to say it one time before they believe it. God doesn't have to make a command five times. He says it once. I believe it. And they have just this tremendous confidence in God's word and what God has said. And by the way, somebody with the gift of faith, this isn't somebody just willy-nilly who believes everything and they're naive and gullible and unrealistic and idealistic. That's not what it's talking about. According to the Bible, true faith comes only one way, according to Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes from the truth of the word of God. So the person with the gift of faith, that's why I said They believe God at his word. And everything, when they exercise the gift of faith, it is always consistent with the scripture. It is consistent with the word of God. So they're not believing in things that aren't true. They believe in the truth. And that's the basis of how they exercise this gift. So it's not blind faith. It's not stupidity. It's not naivete. It is faith in taking God at his word by virtue of who he was. You know, Abraham did that. He believed God in an unbelievable situation. He took God at his word. That's how every Christian should be, but more so people are gifted in that regard. People with the gift of faith have a unique and vital prayer life because they believe God is going to do things. They believe that God is actually going to answer their prayers. You know that? In a unique kind of way. So a person with the gift of faith, they pray. They pray tenaciously. They pray in an ongoing manner. And you know what? They pray very specifically. And you know what? People with the gift of faith pray expecting an answer. And the amazing thing is, and I thought about people with the gift of faith that I know, things happen in their life. You can see the blessing of God raining down upon them. How in the world did, did you accomplish all this? Well, I didn't. God did. And they were very specific and strategic and deliberate in their prayer life, trusting God at His word. God says He's going to answer a prayer. This is what He said in His word. This is His promise. Take Him at face value. That is awesome. Someone with the gift of faith, these are not pessimistic people, by the way. They are not negative. They are not humdrum. These are very encouraging people to talk to because they always have a great sense of hope because they know God is going to be true to his word. And it's, it's a beautiful thing because it is very simple. Simple, pure faith. And um, God has blessed our church with people with the gift of faith. I've been encouraged in, already in this church by talking to people who have the gift of faith in our church. And I, I know they have the gift of faith by the way they talk by the way they pray, by the answers to prayer that I've already seen happen as a result of their prayers. That's awesome. It's very encouraging. So anyway, think about those gifts that we have gone over and be praying about those. And maybe some of you already know what your spiritual gift is. That's awesome. And just keep growing in that gift. Some of you might be trying to find out what your gift is uh, in light of the information that I've given you. And I want to close with this, just in light of everything we said, to help you find out maybe or zero in on what your spiritual gift might be. Consider these principles. Identifying your spiritual gift, Roman numeral number three. If you don't know, examine and pray about the desires you have. Because your desires will always be consistent with the gift God has given you. Uh, And then start serving in a given area at some level, even at a small level. As you start doing that, God may confirm that's your gift. Also look for results in your effectiveness as you're serving with that gift. Because if you are gifted in that area, you're doing it with the right motive. God will produce results in your life. And then finally... Look for recognition and affirmation from the wider body of believers. They will affirm you in your giftedness. And they will also tell you when you stink. I've had that happen to me. Thank you very much. I don't have that gift. I need to work in that area. I still need to do that area, but I am not gifted in that area. I think somebody else needs to be doing this gift because I'm just scaring people away. So keep that in mind. And then also, uh, just kind of some diagnostic questions to challenge you, to challenge me as we think about our gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? So you can read those through those on your own and for further edification, some 
further reading and study on this very important topic from the Apostle Paul and for our local church. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God to impress these things upon our heart in a real spiritual way as we seek to build His church with His Holy Spirit and with Christ leading us. Father, we thank You for today. Again, thank You for the Lord's Day. Thank You for Your Word, uh, the truth that You communicate to us. Thank You for Your promise to build the church and also include us as a part of it. God, thank you for the many people you have blessed this little church with who are already and have been using their gifts. Some have just been serving and they didn't care if that was their gift or not. They just, they just wanted to be obedient and faithful to you. I thank you for them as well. And God, maybe some are thinking through what their spiritual gift is. They're not quite sure. Use your scripture. Use your Holy Spirit. Use other believers to really confirm that in their heart and in their mind of where their niche might be to help the local church grow. And uh, we know you're going to answer that prayer uh, because that's your desire. And I just pray you bless our fellowship together for the rest of the afternoon. We thank you for our time together in Christ's name. Amen.